You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Well, hello, Shauna. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me on the show today. Absolutely. Hey, Shauna, for those that haven't come across you online, introduce yourself and tell our listeners why we're talking tonight. I'm Shauna Weber. I'm the CEO of California-based Edgewood Business Solutions, and we support many independent pharmacies with their bookkeeping and financial strategies. And those are often overlooked um, by busy pharmacy owners. They're busy running their pharmacy, and there's a lot of paperwork that needs to happen on the back end. So we wanted to kind of uncover some of those different aspects of the bookkeeping tasks that need to happen, you know, to help their pharmacy be successful. Okay, because if you listen to pharmacists, they're going to be bitching all the time about the reimbursement, the DIR fees, and how much they're getting paid and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes in the midst of that, they're maybe not forgetting, but it's not so intriguing, I suppose, to think about when they should be giving a raise or how much it's going to cost for turnover an employee or, you know, when they should be calling their accountant and when they should be doing this because it's easier just to focus on the the beast than to think about the other stuff. Do you see that with pharmacists? Absolutely, because they're spending their time where they know what they need to do. And when it comes to bookkeeping or paperwork or maybe negotiating the rent, it makes them feel uncomfortable and they really don't want to do it. And so sometimes they avoid doing those important tasks and it does affect their business. But the other thing that they can do is if they don't love it and you know it's causing stress for them, it's a really good area to delegate or to outsource. You find in a business that... The owners do what they like, and and there's nothing wrong with that because I've always asked the question, like, if someone were to give me $100 million and they said, use this somehow in business, the natural inclination for a pharmacist would be to take that money, open up a bunch of pharmacies, but then you're going to be on the you know 20th floor of some high rise running the pharmacy from there. And a lot of people just don't want to go that route. So the opposite of that would be doing things they love in the pharmacy, but the things they don't love, they kind of get forgotten about, especially until the last minute. And so like when you say negotiating rent. Tell me about that, for example. Well, if you're leasing and your lease is coming due, you have to think of all of the options that you're going to have. Um, More than likely, your landlord knows that you want to stay there. But if, say, you're experiencing this whole fun uh, situation that we are right now, you have some you know, leverage and you might want to be having those discussions with your landlord that you'd like to renegotiate your lease. If you don't have the conversation, the answer is always no. Um, But your landlord may be open to renegotiating that lease. And you also don't want to miss the lease ending dates where the lease automatically renews. So if your lease requires that you give a 90-day notice and you aren't doing that, that could be a potential issue for you. So you really want to start having those discussions and calendar those dates um, and give yourself that opportunity to renegotiate some of those lease leases that you have. The problem with me, though, is I'd have to calendar them like a snooze alarm. <laughs> You know, <laughs> like you know? five different reminders. We do that. Yeah. Let's say your lease is due like 
July 1st. And I don't want to see it for the first time on June 1st. I need to see it like March 1st so I can snooze it for a month just like I do in bed, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you should set multiple notices, especially for something like that. But I would say even it's not just your leases. Think of if you have a shredding company or you have medical waste. Um, There's a large company that you have to be very careful with. If you don't... um, give them enough notice. I mean, you're stuck with them for another lease term and it's really hard to get out of. Because they might have like a a three-year lease or something like that. Yes. And they have a really good department where they do not want to let you out of your contract. And so you really have to be mindful of that. So not just with rent leases, but also other services. All kinds of stuff. And I know I fall victim too. Well, not victim. I I often will set something up on a credit card and a lot of times you don't, you're not going through the credit card to look at those. And, you know, it could be hundred, I don't know, hundred bucks on some fax service or this or that. Before you know it, you've got a few of those. You got, you know, five grand into it for the year. Yeah. Just think of what you could do with five grand. I could blow that some other way. A little vacation, something. <laughs> but a fun way, right? <laughs> that's right. At least it would be on purpose and you wouldn't be ignoring it. But that's a lot of times what we find is it's just the business owners, they're busy. And then on the weekends, they want to spend time with their families or doing something else. And the last thing they want to do is this whole bookkeeping or, you know, that sort of thing. And so many recurring charges just go, you know, unnoticed or undealt with. And I'll deal with that later. It's only 120 a year. And then pretty soon it's five of those. Having a dedicated person, you know, helping you with that and bringing that to the forefront of your mind is important, you know, that you don't have to do it all. And that sometimes you do need help. Yeah. We had one that I got screwed on one time. And it was my fault probably. But it was this company that came in and did our runner rugs, you know. So the runner rugs are, I don't know, let's say they're 20 feet long and 6 feet wide. And and in Michigan, you know, we'll get three of them in the winter or something like that. And these guys would come in and they would deliver them and then they would go to the cash register i mean not to the cat but the other the the correct side of the cash register and give it to one of our employees (laughs) and they would say it's x dollars today and they would pay them on the spot kind of like an old paper boy you know with the change Mm -hmm. thing not billed to us well i never really looked at that closely because i never wrote the check for that and at the time i was writing all the checks for everything but that's one thing that didn't show up on my credit card didn't show up in the checking account but it was an ungodly amount of money that i went to lowe's and i could practically buy these rugs you know they come on these humongous rolls and you cut them whatever length you want them i could buy three of those for the price that they were charging me every two weeks or something for those absolutely and and again sometimes people think well this is just a small amount but if you think of all of the different things in your business and again you're busy you know running the front end of your pharmacy some of the back-end things that go unnoticed, they're costly. They're very costly. Devil's advocate here, Shauna. You say, Mike, or whomever, we're going to remind you about these things. We're going to bring them to your attention and all this stuff. And then I say, well, great. Now I'm just going to hate Shauna because every time I see her, she's going to remind me of all these nasty things I want to do. The only way, <laughs> the only way <laughs> that you could, the only way that you could take that away from me, though, is... 
I'd like to have you do some of those things for us. Do you guys or are there services that will like do this negotiating or or do these kind of things? Or do we just tell the pharmacist then, all right, it's time, go do it? It depends on the type of contract. But absolutely, if you had a, you know, some subscription you weren't using anymore, it may be, we'll help, we'll get that canceled for you. You don't have to worry. Just tell us you're not using it. We'll deal with it. Or you say, or we say, hey, this, the shredding service is costing you a lot of money. We think we can renegotiate that for you. Can we handle that? And you say yes. Or they may just need you to get on the phone and say, we give Shauna authorization to you know, to speak with you, because sometimes that will happen. Um, and that's what we try to do, because really, you're busy, and we can bring it to your attention. And we're kind of like the accountability person. But we also want to remind you, like, you, ha- you have this business for specific reasons. It's for freedom. It's to earn more money, right? So it's like someone who wants diet and exercise. It's like you have to be willing to do it. Or maybe you just need a coach to help you along to get that done. I've heard of that one time, diet and exercise. <laughs> I got to look that up again, see what that's all about. But I have an accountability coach because I know the secret. I know that diet and exercise is what's going to help me lose weight. But, you know, I need someone to like push me along to say, hey, I need you to check in this Friday on what you're doing. So it's just, you know, it just depends on what your needs are. So you may have us nagging you that, you know, we need you to cancel this service and you just get tired of that. So you finally do it. But we saved you, you know, a thousand dollars a year because we nagged you till you got it done. Otherwise, it just it just went flew out the window, flew out the window. You just toss money out the window. Yeah. All right, Sean, I I brought this up a couple podcasts ago and we used to have these people and they would show up and they would say, we're a great consulting business and we're going to save you money. And, you know, the problem is they would have come from. You know, the week before they came to our place, they were in a veterinarian clinic and then they were an oil chain shop and then they were here. And so there's obviously a value. You can always get some value out of it. But I think the value is having somebody that works on similar accounts. And I think the cool thing about your business is you deal with a lot of pharmacies. We do. And we have a lot of medical practices as well. And some of those practices have in-office dispensaries because they're not retail. And some of our pharmacies um, deal with long-term care facilities. So we have both retail and closed pharmacies. So we do have a lot of experience in that whole realm. You're gaining more knowledge essentially than I am because you're looking, you're finding all the problems and, and you're gaining that compounded knowledge, let's say. Absolutely. So knowing that there's people out there like me that are going to say, you don't know my business and this and that, how do you get in the door of these places to say, look, I understand you're independent. I know you know your business. You've been there for 30 years, but here's how I might be able to help. How do you guys even, well, let's, let's go to the very beginning. How do you even begin that conversation? Do you call? Do you, do you stop in? What, what do you do with a, let's say a pharmacist who thinks he's too busy? He or she is too busy. Usually we have one of our other pharmacy clients. Um, they're advocates for us. Um, they will give a referral or a phone call and just say, you know, why they need to work with us. That's really our, we have a lot of advocates for what we do. There's a difference between referral source, you know, having someone in your three ring binder or something and actually calling up the pharmacist. So those people that you ask, your clients that you ask, are they actually the first ones that approach another pharmacist? 
Like, in other words, if I owned a pharmacy and I was using you, would you say, hey, Mike, I'd like to maybe do some work with Steve's. Is your next question to me, Mike, could you call up Steve and tell them about us? I would say, hey, Mike, would it be okay if I used your name with Steve? And would it be okay if he contacts you, if he would like to speak about our services? And a lot of times we find like, again, in your peer groups, someone may have a conversation like, oh, I'm struggling with this in my business, or I hate doing I hate doing my bookkeeping. And it's like, hey, we use, we use Shauna and her firm, and she's really helped us. And you know, things like PPP. I'm curious, like the SBA Paycheck Protection Program, were people ready for that? Were their books in order? Or was it like, oh my gosh, they're scrambling to try to get something in order to be able to apply? So we actually had, had a lot of clients because of that, who we did help get them up to speed from a referral from another pharmacist. I see. So you're going in there and you can at least name drop. You're not going in cold to them, which helps a lot, I'm sure. Right. Because again, finances are a very intimate kind of thing where people don't want to just hand it over to someone they don't know. I mean, it's a little scary and intimidating. And sometimes it's like, well, you haven't reconciled your bank for the last 10 months and you might be a little embarrassed about it. And so if I just show up off the streets, like, who is this person? How do I know that they know anything about pharmacy? And even if I drop some words in there about DIR fees and things like that, it doesn't mean I know what I'm talking about, right? Like people will drop in certain words, but if you have that referral. I'm the king of name dropping and not knowing what the (laughs) hell I'm talking about. So you're talking to the right man. But the buzzwords are great, but it doesn't mean people know what they're talking about. And that's really the scariest thing is when you let someone into your finances. And if they don't know what they're doing, you know, you don't want them to wreak havoc either. And I think that's what people are afraid of. But if you can talk to, again, talk to your peer or someone, you know, in the industry that's utilizing that service or a CPA, it's helpful. You mentioned two things that are close to my heart this last year. Things got so bad for us for a bit there that I was looking at either uh, selling or working on getting a loan or refinancing some loans. And my books were a disaster because we had a bunch of shift changes and I got rid of our bookkeeper a while back. We never did a good job getting back. And so thankfully now business has turned around a little bit from, from some things that I've done, but I really couldn't have sold at that time because my books were so crappy. And then there is that embarrassment figure because since about the first of the year, now we're with a new firm, but since about the first of the year, my books were junk. They were just junk. I was just basically opening up checks and and sending them to the bank without doing any kind of a reconciliation or anything. It's like I didn't have time. I didn't have the desire. And it's the old cliche of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like I was just trying to stay afloat and I figure <laughs> I'll, I'll get that crap right. figured out later on. Yeah. And was it, I mean, did it make you feel stressed out when you thought, oh, you have this kind of little bookkeeping monster over here that you know you're going to have to deal with, but you don't have time. And then now you need to apply for even like HHS. Like, like how are you going to apply for PPP, HHS, and the funds or grants that you desire, but now you have to just throw it all together? It's a little stressful. It was probably less stressful and probably more embarrassing. You know, that's a word you touched on a minute ago. I think it was embarrassing. You know, I think I handed my stuff over to my accountant in my peanut butter stained lunch bag. (laughs) Shauna, so you're typically helping out businesses and pharmacies. A lot of them are going to say we already have an accountant, but you're coming at it usually first from a bookkeeping side? 
Yes. So we don't prepare taxes. We coordinate and collaborate with um, our client's CPA. But a lot of times we, we have the benefit because we do work across the medical space of seeing different things that are helpful. Um, there's a lot of deductions that are often missed, even with CPAs, um, just because they're busy and it just depends on the kind of the time of year that things are going on. But it's really your responsibility to communicate to the CPA what's happening in your business. Where are the areas that some pharmacists miss when it comes to deductions and things they should be doing in that regard? Well, definitely um, there's some things that seem simple, but it's really important to take a look at, and that would be your cell phone expense. Um, Some people are paying that on their personal account, and it should be coming out of their business. And things like business mileage, Um, if your vehicles are not on your assets, um, you should be reimbursing yourself mileage. And then there's the home office expense. A lot of people miss that. Or some CPAs aren't as with the times, I would say it used to be, oh, you're going to get an audit if you use the home office expense. But it's not it's not that way anymore. And it hasn't been for a long time. Because I mean, where are you now? Right? Where am I now? We're in our home office and we're working. This isn't work. This is play. Come on. (laughs) This is play. play. Okay, you're right. Yes, but we're going to say it's work for tax purposes. Stick with me. Stick with me. So, you know, some people can capture between five and maybe $11,000. And that's a big deal. And that's just think of that every year, how much money you could save. So you can reimburse yourself for that home office. And those are, you know, things like if you're renting, that's fine. Some of your utilities, internet, I mean, if you use some of your garage for storage space, you want to capture that square footage. And I'll be happy to share with you like a link to our home office like calculator. That would be a good one to go into show notes. We'll throw that in there. And that's a big deal. If you think about that over time, that adds up, you know, again, it's vacation. Also supplies that they pay for their business through their personal account and not reimbursing themselves like, oh, it's just a little bit, but you really should try to make sure that you reimburse yourself. And the other thing that isn't a deduction, but we do want to mention here is credit card utilization. So if you have like an American Express or some other card with rewards, what we say is try to utilize it in your business and use the points personally. If you do cashback rewards or you use your points to pay for charges, that does offset the expense that you're using in your business, but it's not taxable. If you say use your American Express and then you decide to fly somewhere personally on a flight and use those points. I ain't no genius, but see if I'm smart enough on this. (laughs) On the car, it really has to be not to and from work, but it would be taking your car to go run to another pharmacy in town or go down to the state capitol an hour away for a meeting, things like that. That's where you can do that. Have I got that straight? Yes. And sometimes it's advised. So it's not like from your home to your to your business. But say you go from your home to Starbucks. So it's the mileage from Starbucks to your office that you can then count. They leave home, they go to Starbucks, but they could count the mileage from Starbucks to the store. Is that because Starbucks is like part of their business morning? Yes. So they're officially starting business at Starbucks. You can't you can't count from home to your place of business. You would have to make a stop first. It's this weird rule, but that's just how it is. So you want to stop by Starbucks in the morning and then start your mileage from Starbucks to your to your pharmacy. Could I stop for a hot fudge sundae in the morning? If they're open, absolutely. If that's how you like to start your day. All right. Now here's another one. The home office. I know there's oddities about that too, right? There's so much you have to do or so many hours. What is that one? Hmm, I haven't heard of that one with so many hours. It's really like a square footage 
requirement. It has to be dedicated space or something like that. Yes, that's true. I mean, you could be working out of your family room, but then you can't count that whole square footage for the whole, you know, entirety because you're using that for personal as well. But in the calculation, even like, like I said, the garage, whatever dedicated space you have, that would be accurate. You'd want to have a dedicated space for your home office. And the other thing that I think is important while we're on this topic is meals, right? Uh, Meals and entertainment. So entertainment went away. You can't buy tickets for your clients for your favorite football team and and give that anymore. It's not deductible. But meals are usually 50% unless they're an office meal. So if you have... um, you have pizza at your store for your staff and you're having a staff meeting, that's 100% deductible. And so you want to make sure you classify it that way because you don't want your CPA to just see meals and they take 50% of that. You want to classify your 100% meals. So anything for your team or your staff, your um, Christmas party, dinner, you can write that off at 100%. So that's a really good tip. So I'm out of work at one o'clock someday and I ask one of my team members, a technician or something, I say, hey, let's uh, let's head over to Burger King and we'll just shoot the breeze and talk a little bit about how, how things are going at the store for you and things like that. That would be considered a business meeting and 100% deductible. Correct. If it's with your team member, you're usually, um, ideally, it's going to be at your store is where the meeting would take place. But, you know, again, you could drop it into that category because it is with your team member and you're having that meeting. Now, if you and I meet, it's only 50% deductible. So there's a difference there when it's your staff versus when it is someone outside your organization. It's only 50% if you're using it kind of to drum up business. Correct. But if you're using it for your staff and for team meetings, then it's 100%. So you want to make sure you classify it that way. That would be a step down for me having to not be able to go to the deluxe Burger King and and really wine and dine them. (laughs) Only the best for my team, Shauna. As long as you give them a crown, you know, I think it'll be good. Those are good points. And I think those are points that typically you're seeing more of. You know, the accountants are usually saying, all right, here, what did you have for this? What did you have for this? And 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 give that to me and we'll meet with you for 15 minutes once a year and and get this in the thing. Where you're as a bookkeeper, you're seeing this stuff and you can ask those kind of questions, I imagine, like, hey, here's here's another uh it looks like another uh deluxe meeting at Burger King or or even Burger King brought into the pharmacy. Mike, you know, who were you with? What were you doing with this? You can ask those kind of questions. Right. So we can help you categorize that properly. Yeah, that's interesting. And you touched on a point that I think is really important too, and that's, you know, meeting with your CPA. I think a lot of people just think of their CPA and meeting at tax time, but we think it's really important to meet at least twice a year, and that would be before year end. So you can make any adjustments that you might need to make with your books or any kind of strategy, and then again at tax time. But oftentimes we see business owners wait until, you know, February or March to hurry up and get their tax stuff in, but they missed out on an opportunity that they could have strategized at the end of the year, putting into their 401k or, you know, again, classifying these things properly when they're not in a rush at the end of the year and forget. What do you think some of the riskiest things are that a business does when it comes to well, let's just say taxes. Is it true that moves they make will 
precipitate an audit? Some moves will. I mean, if you have really high expenses one year over the other and your income doesn't support it. So let's just say you only had a 30% increase in your revenue, but you have like a 200% increase in office supplies. It's just something out of the ordinary that could trigger an audit risk. Um, Luckily, the software that the CPAs have when they're you know, putting your information in for taxes will usually red flag if there is a risk. Um, some people don't realize that if you file your taxes on time, you're actually at a higher audit risk than someone who files on an extension. So we always recommend if you can, you know, pr- you can have your taxes prepared, you can pay your tax because that's important, you must pay on time. But you can hold it and just, you know, make sure. I always say too, the CPAs are more relaxed, usually in May or June, that stress is now gone. And they can really if there's anything else that can be done, there's still a chance to modify that. But it also lowers your audit risk to file it um, on extension. What's the theory on that of getting in more of an audit risk if you're on time? They say they have more time to process the tax returns, more time to look at it. So if you file it later, you know, it's less time. Have you dealt with any clients that have been audited? Is it a pain in the ass? Yes, several. It's actually not too bad. I mean, with these clients, their books are in order. Um, a particular client, they are at $20 million in revenue. And the IRS was saying that um, they owed a lot more money than they did, that they, they actually needed to report more revenue, which wasn't true. But what we found when you have an audit is really to have your documents prepared and in order and give the auditor what they asked for. People used to, this is also kind of old school thinking is put them in a closet, turn up the heat, make them miserable, and then they'll go away. Well, it doesn't work that way. It actually makes it worse. They will dig for everything they possibly can. So it's really having the attitude of, here's my books, here's everything. And usually you're, you're gonna, if your books are in order, you're going to get a pass. If you made a mistake, okay, maybe you might owe some taxes, but you're going to have less of an issue if you're really helpful to that auditor. How specific are these audits? Do I have to actually come up with that Burger King sales receipt from my lunch meeting? Do I really have to come up with that? If you spent more than $75, probably. A lot of times what they'll do is they will go through your records and they'll pick out certain transactions and they'll ask you for that paperwork. Now, if you don't have it, it may not be the end of the world depending on what it is. But if you have nine out of the 10 requests and everything looks reasonable and it checks out, they're just doing their check boxes and they're going to, you know, be done. But if you can't find any of your paperwork and your numbers really aren't jiving, that's going to be a problem for you. And then there's circumstances where you said, hey, I want to be really aggressive tax wise, like super aggressive. Well, if you get audited, you're going to pay taxes. They're probably going to find it. So you just have to know what that risk is. You know, we like to, we, laugh that we, you know, are in the shades of gray, but we're in the light shades of gray for audit risk. You know, we don't really want our clients to be just, you know, at at the extreme end of aggressive. We want to work within the rules. And if there's something that they're going to write off that they know is really personal, but they want to run it through their business, they know what that risk is. Is 75, did you just pull that out? Is that like an average or is that truly like a, a limit? That's true. $75 um, and under is you don't really have to have the receipt for it. Oh, well, I'm good. Yeah. So if you, you know, splurged and you spent $20 at Burger King, you're going to be okay. (laughs) Don't give my team any ideas. They might be listening. (laughs) (laughs) What customers of yours, clients of yours, have you ever had to fire? Mm. 
We haven't had to fire very many, luckily, because in the beginning, we kind of talk about what we're going to agree on. So we're going to, we're going to agree on that, you know, you're going to be responsive and you're going to help us get the information. Um, there are clients that sometimes it's just not a personality fit. Like we're just not in line with how they want, or if they want us to do something that's, you know, not legal. Um, we may fire them, but usually it's, we have had to let some clients go usually for compliance. If they're just not receptive and responding and we need the information and it's gone on for a long time. I mean, and it, and it has to be extreme. I mean, again, we know our business owners are really busy and we try to do everything we can to get everything done without having to have them super involved. But if they're just non-compliant, we can't get, you know, the bank statements to do the reconciliations and now they want their tax return. And it's just, you know, it's not it's not a good match. We we have let a few clients go because of that. Just in theory, of course, if you could pick out someone that you hated working with, not talking about illegal or somebody who doesn't respond to you, but what kind of a personality would would be a pain to work with as a client? I think someone who's really micromanagey, who micromanages every move is a little difficult. You know, if we were hanging over your shoulder all of the time and telling you how to fill, you know, prescriptions and how to talk to your clients, I mean, after a while, you'd be like, hey, I got this. Um, we want interaction and we want communication. But if it's just, if it's a lot of micromanaging, it makes it a little difficult. Yeah, you can't do your job. And it almost makes you wonder why they need you then. We used to giggle and I'll just, you know, admit this. It's like if someone had an accounting degree, that was always harder for us because they, they're they running a business, but they have an accounting degree, but they need to hire because they need to delegate. But then they would want to micromanage the, the finances, which was really hard. We had this guy that used to come into the pharmacy and his dad was a pharmacist, okay? And... This guy would come in, and he was the same age as my dad, all right? So every time this guy came in, and I can count really on one hand the times that my dad said bad things about people, but he always said about this guy that he probably, I think he somehow he knew that he flunked out of pharmacy school. But every time this guy would come in, he was a chemist, not a pharmacist chemist, but actually a chemical degree. So he would always order his medicines, always with the long generics names. And he would always pronounce them a little bit different on purpose. You know, like, you know, let's say pseudoephedrine, as pharmacists call it, you know. And he would call it, uh, instead of saying, hey, I need some pseudoephed, he would say, I need some pseudoephedrine ephedrine, blah, blah, blah. You know, we'd all roll our eyes because he was trying to, to show his stuff. But sometimes those are the worst the worst customers or the ones that maybe know a little bit, you know, too much. They know just enough to be dangerous. Now, wait, you were saying like that could be an accountant that would do that with you. And then why would they, what were you saying? Why did they need you again? Because they were busy. They were actually a business owner of say another type of business, but they had an accounting degree. So, um, we had a client who was a pizza. We, we got called in from a CPA to say, can you help this um, pizza business? Because they need help with their books because they need to get their tax returns filed. And the person in charge had an accounting degree, but it, they wanted to micromanage the whole process, which was hard. It's like, this will go a lot faster and save you a lot of money. Let us just come in and get it done. And then let's have a chat about how you want things organized. Um, it's a lot faster. And especially because we were on a deadline. So we want to be, you know, efficient, but 
Um, I would say some of our favorite customers, flip, flip that a little bit, are people who are interactive and they're curious. And, you know, we really want to help educate our clients. So if there's something they don't know, we don't want people to be embarrassed. And we actually want them to ask the questions. We don't want them to feel like, like, what is, you know, if they ask us, what is this for? Why'd you put it there? We want to educate them on it because I think it helps um, them understand their finances better and it helps, you know, have a better client. It's a better client experience. What other places do you see that pharmacists could, and I know that you're you're pleasant, so you're going to say, here's where they could maybe improve. But I'm going to say, what are the <laughs> ways do we screw up? I would say it's with employees. That's one of the biggest costs. And when you have a lot of turnover, it's very costly. And there are things, again, you know, you're the pharmacist, you're running this business, and now you have to manage people, or maybe you hire a manager, but you really want to make sure that you're engaging employees because employee turnover can be quite costly. And even simple things, and I know, again, people are like, oh, do I really have to do this? The answer is yes. You really want to make sure that your employees buy into your mission and your culture of your company and that they're treating your customers the way you want them to be treated because you will lose business because if your employees are not nice to your customers and um, you'll lose people for better opportunities if you're not treating them right. If they can go get a job at you know $15 an hour somewhere else and your environment isn't that great, you're going to have turnover and then you have to train someone else. And that's, it costs a lot of money. So I would even say, okay, if, if you're not that great at in employee engagement, like that's not your thing, you don't want to do it. Is there someone in your business, another employee that you can then pay a little bit more money and have, maybe they have fun Fridays or you bring in Burger King every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Only the cheap asses do I take them to Burger King. <laughs> so I think that some of those things are important because it really um, engages your employees with you. It gives them, you know, a fun work environment because they're with you, you know, many hours of the day. They're away from their family. They're choosing to be at your place of business, but they can also choose to go elsewhere. So you always want to keep that in mind that it doesn't take a lot to engage your employees, even playing a fun, you know, there's a lot of engagement um, activities online. And even doing something like that on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, maybe you're doing fun t-shirts, um, you know, once a quarter, something like that. Maybe someone does a design for it. Something that ties people in with your particular store and your mission and, and vision so that you don't have a lot of turnover because that is expensive. I got to tell you, though, my daughter, she came to me and she said, um, she said, Dad, this is the same daughter I talked about from the last podcast, if anybody's interested. If anybody's interested, she has a lot of ideas <laughs> for me that rarely agree with mine. But I think she would pick the opposite. Like I tell my wife, I say, uh, you know, if we wanted this daughter to do something, we just choose the opposite and then she'll do it. Yeah. She doesn't fall for it that we really believe yes. in the opposite, you know. So she said, Dad, what you need to do at work, you need to have fun things. She says, we have weekly meetings at our juice bar place where she worked this summer, a vegan juice bar. We have weekly meetings. And I say, oh, that's, I say, that's good. That's good, Grace. And I see, I always use her name, but um, that's all right. She doesn't care. I say, that's good, Grace. I said, you have weekly meetings. She said, yeah, it really involves the employees. It gets them real interested in things like that. I said, oh. I said, how do you like that? She said, I hate it. I'm quitting next week. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Here's, I think, what pharmacists have. What I like is because I'm within, like, feet of these people all day, you know, and it's not terribly stressed. We're not so busy that we're stressed. But I think if you were not next to them 
or you had a lot more stress, you'd have to have ways to sometimes say, look, life isn't all this stressful, you know, with the, you know, the t-shirts and things like that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, if you think about it, you're really motivated by your passion for your business, right? And that's what keeps you going and keeps you going to work every day. You have this responsibility and, you know, you're passionate about it and your employees are you know, typically passionate about what they do, but again, they can leave at any time. And so, um, you know, really helping them in that environment, just have fun. And you don't know what's going on at home. People right now are super stressed with things going on. So if they can have a place that they feel that they're really comfortable and they connect with you and they have passion for your, you know, your customers, they're going to be better employees because they're happier. I know where you were going with that. And the boss, I think you were going a little bit, the boss, the owner, has more of a natural passion for the business, right? Because they own it. And my employees, I think, have a passion for the customers. I don't think they have much passion for the business. And I don't, I'm only saying that from history or from different employees who have left over the last 30 years and stuff. You know, the passion for the customers is there. Not so much for the business, but they do a damn good job when they're passionate of the customers. It's just they don't have that deep passion for the business. And that's where if you can pull in some of that fun and um, camaraderie and things like that. And frankly, as the owner, you nailed it. I don't really need that. I'm not a rock or an island, but I've got the joy and the thoughts of the business game in my head, which they don't really have. Right, exactly. And if you have an environment where there's a lot of drama, you know, that's a problem. I mean, you want people to want to show up for work because again, they're, they like the work environment, they like your customers. And even simple things like if you're running a retail pharmacy, and your customers are coming in, and they're asking for something specific, and you don't have it, you know, is that is that employee going to mention that to you? Like, hey, they, they're looking for, I'm just going to make it up. I don't know. You have, I'm sure you have this on your shelves, but ace bandages or something. Um, if multiple customers ask for something and your employee doesn't feel like they're engaged with you, why are they going to tell you? And then you're missing revenue. So again, it's like this, this whole cycle of, you know, employees who are happy, they perform better. They're happier in their personal life. They're happier at their place of employment, less likely to leave. I've talked about this or at least alluded to this, but in the last year, we've downsized from about 37 employees down to about 20. And the 17 that we lost, I think they were all professional drama actors. (laughs) (laughs) It makes a difference. I mean, you know. I'm actually waiting for like to receive tickets to some like you know, some <laughs> drama thing and, and go there and see all the former employees, you know, <laughs> individually, they were all good. But that that mix that they had, and I wasn't around as much I had from 2015 through 19 or so I wasn't around as much. And boy, did, does it uh, it, oh, it just gets thick. It does. But I think that's human nature. I think that's human nature. I mean, you're always going to deal with some kind of drama, typically, but the least amount, the better. And when people, again, they feel like they can come to work and have a, you know, mostly drama-free workplace, they're less likely to call in <laughs> sick. I mean, some people are going to call in yeah. sick because they just don't want to deal with Susie today, you know, because Susie's I go in and Susie doesn't say hello and she has this frown on her face and, you know, it's like, 
I'm going to call in sick. I'm not dealing with Susie today. So I think that that makes a difference. There was either drama or drama brewing. And both of those mm-hmm. are about the same, you know, <laughs> about the yeah. same pain, <laughs> pain level for me. And you don't want your customers to experience that. I mean, we've all gone someplace where there's drama with employees or something going on where you just don't feel like you, you know, get that feel good feeling when you go into those places. Typically, um, they fight past it, but sometimes no, sometimes it, it goes over and people can tell, you know, customers can tell Yeah, it's just too small of a, too small of a thing, um, you know, not to. You touched on one thing that I, I wanted to mention on an additional tax tip is you said that um, your daughter, Grace, which I also have a daughter, Grace. You do? That your daughter, Grace. How old is she? I do. 17. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, What's her middle name? Thank you. Andrea. Andrea. That's pretty. That's pretty. Oh, thank you. How about yours? Ours is um, Elizabeth. Oh, well, a tax tip is, so she, you said she's six out of 10. So that means you probably have younger children under 19 years old. Yeah, my youngest just turned 10. So a tax tip is if you have children and your children are doing some work in your business, one of the tax strategies is to pay your children for their work. Um, and usually they are at a different tax rate than you are. And there are certain limits, and again, you would want to work with your CPA on this, that you can pay your child where they wouldn't have to file a tax return. Hmm. And then there is a limit that your children would have to file a tax return for the work that they're performing. But again, their um, effective rate for the taxes are going to be less than yours. So instead of paying yourself, you know, your wage, and then you're paying them personally, maybe for work that they're doing, you would want to pay them out of the business. If you're going to pay them an allowance or something like that or whatever... Mm-hmm. they then could, well, let's see. I mean, they deserve to make the money they make, but the money you save, I mean, you can't pay them more than the going rate, though, can you? No, you want to pay them for the work performed. So some of our clients, um, their children come and they help do the shredding or they help clean up. And some people would have just paid them, you know, out of their pockets. So, you know, here's $100 out of their personal funds. But you actually want to run it through payroll because then it's a deduction for you and it helps you tax wise to pay them through your business. So if they're doing work in your pharmacy, you would want to go ahead and um, pay your children as a wage. How long have you been doing this? I have been doing this for more than 20 years. Wow. Is this great and this is just going or do you have like another step that you want to do that would feel different or better. I'm not trying to take you away from something that's perfect for you, but do you have any other level you're trying to do or a different business bring on something else or whatever? We are looking at um, implementing profit first strategies um, as a service, as a consulting service. I saw that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I saw that you got certified in that and so on. And I looked up the website. What is that? So Profit First is essentially like a cash flow management system. So if you think of your grandma's envelope system where she would put, you know, uh, allocate money to certain things and spend accordingly, it's the same kind of thing in a business because um, a lot of times business owners, they're looking at their bank accounts. We can budget all day long, but they're really not looking at that budget. They're looking at the bank account. So what we do is we set up 
you know, multiple bank accounts and just move the money into those, say, envelopes so that they only spend what's in the envelope instead of, you know, just kind of a a free for all when they see the money in their account. Well, first of all, a lot of pharmacists don't budget because it's a seat of their pants kind of thing. They've been there so long. Yeah, it's and your, you know, pharmacies are a little more challenging because you do have the DIR fees and when those things are coming out, right? I mean, that's a challenge. But you could have, you know, where you're paying your supplier twice a month and you want to just tuck that money away into an account so you know that it's there when you go to pay it. Or you're going to bring on some new employees and you want to save for that. So you may want to tuck that money away as you're receiving money. So, you know, profit first can be utilized in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times taxes jump up on people and things like that. So this is a way to, I don't know, is it kind of a way to rein in the 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 free nature of an entrepreneur or is that too rough on the on the entrepreneur well it's really there's um parkinson's law and really it's kind of if i give you two weeks to do a project it'll take you two weeks and if i give you eight weeks to do the same project it'll take you eight weeks so it's the same with the money in your bank account right if i give you two thousand for advertising you're going to make that work and if i give you ten thousand you're going to spend it all So it's really kind of doing those allocations. So yes, saving for taxes, but you're also kind of looking at your costs and saying, okay, I'm going to spend $10,000 on advertising and I'm going to set that aside. Um, Or it's 2000, whatever the number is. And that way, you know, when you're looking at your account, if you have 100,000 in there, now you're going to do advertising and someone gives you a quote of 20,000, you're like, okay, yeah, I'll do 20,000. When you really could have maybe negotiated or looked at other opportunities and spent 10,000. So it really um, kind of drives you to do that kind of negotiating for the amount of money you have in your budget instead of the money you have in your bank account. Let's say in theory, you know all your bills are paid. You know the wholesaler is not coming due to another week and you've got $100,000 sitting there and, and it happens that the marketing radio guy comes in or something. You might just quickly say, sure, I'll do it. Not Not realizing that some of that money was meant for a project four weeks from now, but you didn't Well, it could be your profit. Yeah. I mean, money, it could be money back to you. So if you had it budgeted and you put it in another bank account and you know that that's what you're going to spend on advertising, you're more likely to spend that amount of money versus, again, the free for all that's in your account. That's really, you know, your profit or maybe the money to bring on a new employee or to buy additional, you know, um, items for your for your store. Yeah, I like that notion because, yeah, it's true. You can... You can really do well, like you had mentioned, between let's say a hundred thousand and ten thousand in advertising. If you do the ten, maybe you'll get ten percent of the cost. Might get you fifty percent of what a hundred thousand would have got you, or something like that. You know, just at ten. So yeah, that's that's true. Right. If you maybe you're going to do some type of remodel and you want to kind of have a budget, you're probably going to get three quotes and try to try to stick within in your mind what you think the budget is instead of going with the first person who comes in and quotes you. Because, again, I think we find this a lot with medical practices and pharmacies, too, that sometimes people are going to overquote you because of your industry. So they're going to say, oh, you're you know a doctor, you're a pharmacist. And then they're going to up their prices because they think you know, you have a open-ended bank account. And so you want to avoid that as well. So kind of setting a budget aside, getting multiple quotes, you know, that money goes back into your pocket, whatever is left over. And you're not going to spend more than what you originally planned on, you know, with your allocation. What's like the product that you walked out of in training for that? Is it certain 
um, literature or what? There's literature. There's also like calculators so that you can do what they call assessments so that I can see how your cash flow is going. And when we, they have, um, targeted percentages. So if I say you need to save 30% for taxes, you know, it's easy for me to tell you what that amount is going to be. What other kinds of things do you have up your sleeve? Anything else like that? And we really try to work on education. So in California, we have harassment training that needs to be completed if you have five employees or more. Um, and so we're really working with our clients to educate them on making sure that they're in compliance. So if um, there's ever any issues down the road, that they can show that they have done the training um, and also their employees have completed it as well. It almost sounds like your business. It's like you're a bookkeeper. If it, Wait, is that – can I call it a bookkeeper or is that derogatory? No, it's good. You know, nowadays, like, you can't call a garbage – a garbage <laughs> man has to be a sanitation <laughs> Specialist. worker or something like <laughs> that. I think I'm still called a pharmacist. I'm not sure. <laughs> it might be derogatory for all the other pharmacists knowing that I'm called a pharmacist. <laughs> My wife, we get two ladies that come to our house every two weeks for a couple hours. And that's reasonable. You know, they they get stuff done. I always get on Margaret, though, because she always cleans the house spotless for these ladies that are coming to clean. I'm like, what are you doing? She says, well, they're not pick up ladies. You know, they, they do the deeper stuff. Does that make any sense to you? I'd say it's kind of like the embarrassing books, right? It's like all of us ladies, we want to pick up our house before the house cleaners get there. So they don't really know what we had going on. You know, it's like whoa, a little embarrassed. Well, then here's here's the rub then, Shauna. We can't call them cleaning ladies. Mm-hmm. That's derogatory. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you think they'd be called cleaning ladies? Yeah, I think that makes makes sense. That's what they do, right? That's their job. <laughs> it's their job. They're cleaning. I keep your books. I keep them. I'm a bookkeeper. A bookkeeper. Yeah. All right. So on that point, Shauna, it sounds to me what I'm picking up from you, and I, I, I ain't no Sherlock Holmes, but I think I'm picking up from you that you're keeping track of more than books, that you're almost like a babysitter for us pharmacists, right? You're talking about the harassment training, you know, maybe fraud training, this and that, and telling us we should look at our contracts here and and see if, you know, so-and-so is charging us too much and that. You're a babysitter for us. <laughs> Fair? Well, you know, I like to say uh, accountability coach. Oh, see, there you go again. Now I you're going to tell me I can't call them cleaning ladies. <laughs> Funny. Okay, we're a babysitter. No, I'm just Accountability saying. coach f- yes. across the board for different stuff that they're letting slip through the cracks. Right. We're helping you accomplish your goals that you want, right? We're just making sure that you're doing what you set out to do. But, you know, I, I would like your audience to be aware that there are different levels of bookkeepers. So there are some bookkeepers that are just transactional. They're just maybe that you hire and they're $100 a month and they're just going to do the transactions and never ask you any questions. And then there's accountants and accountants can also be CPAs. So I think it's, it gets really confusing on what the titles are. So I would say if you're talking to someone, the best thing to do is ask what their services are to help if that's, if that is in line with what you're looking to do. Yeah. Now, Shauna, how far do you go out? Are you whatever licensed in other states or are you just California? We are virtual, but we like to stay in um, California because we know a lot with the employment laws. We know a lot about the taxes. 
we do have clients with other pharmacies in other areas, so in Florida. And so we do help those clients as well. But um, we have a lot of, again, connections with other bookkeepers. So if someone were looking for someone in their particular state, we would be happy to connect um, any of your listeners if they are looking for someone with someone that we know is a trusted advisor. I was just going to say, you made a lot of pharmacists sad. <laughs> we got them all excited. And then they can't use you, but you can help them out. You can help them find someone that can do similar things because of your connections. Correct. And we can help them with their bookkeeping. I would say when it comes to more of employee or employee, certain employee um, laws or payroll with employees, that's where it gets a little bit tricky for us because we are, we understand California really well. So um, again, if someone was looking for a resource, we would be happy to connect them with someone that does handle their state, or if they said, hey, we have the payroll lockdown, we just need someone to come in and take a look at our books and advise us or handle the bookkeeping tasks, we can do that for you. What's the best part of the week you look forward to? I have to say, we scheduled our employee weekly meetings on Monday, because sometimes Mondays can be a little, you know, you're kind of starting out of the gate, you have all these plans for what's going to happen during the week. And sometimes things get a little derailed, especially in our business, if someone gets a notice, or, you know, they're, they say, hey, we need this, the bank is asking for this, and we want to be on top of that. So Mondays can be a little bit tricky, because I have all these plans, and sometimes they get a little derailed. So we scheduled our weekly meetings, um, staff meetings for Monday afternoon. And that's really something that I always look forward to, because we do a little icebreaker. We share our wins. We talk about what's going to happen during the week and any any issues that people are having or anything, any ideas they want to bounce off of each other. And that's just been a really a highlight of the whole week. Like it just gets me past that Monday. That's nice. Yeah. Do you have, how do I put this, refreshments there? (laughs) (laughs) We do not. But, you know. Seriously? Well, it's two o'clock in the afternoon and, you know, I'm hoping that they... (laughs) <laughs> oh, you want them to go back and be productive. I, I kind of do. I kind of do. But, you know, maybe we'll schedule it to a later time so that we can do a four o'clock. Yeah. How how long is a meeting? An hour? An hour. Yeah. And they work till five? They actually have flexible schedules. All right. So tell them to be flexible and and, and be flexible at three. Then you, and then you have a little bit of a cheese and wine or whatever. I like that, actually. And I think they would like that, too. If that's already your favorite time of the, see, I I just flip flop like this. If you already enjoy it, you don't need it. Then have your fun and tell them to get back to work. <laughs> maybe they would enjoy it though, right? Like I have to be open minded to maybe they would like a little bit of wine and cheese during that hour. You know what the best way to do, and then to keep them happy still, but also productive, hmm. bring in some whoppers. Oh yes, I you know I should have learned that from our our talk today. That Burger King can do wonders. I'm going to DoorDash them, Burger King. <laughs> there you go. I'm too cheap for that. I've never done DoorDash or anything. It's got to be, I mean, my time is worth something, but i just too cheap to think that I would have someone go pick up my Whoppers for me. Well, we are virtual. So I, we actually have um, employees in Northern California and Southern California because we have clients all throughout California. Your Monday meeting is virtual. Yes. Oh, then just put a flask in your uh, coat pocket there and turn around occasionally to say <laughs> that you have to uh, do something with the microphone or something like that and then take some swigs. Yeah, I could do that. It would it would definitely be happy hour for sure. If someone said to you right now, you have to take a year off of what you're doing, but it's not a free year. You don't get to go traveling and things like that. You still have to work 
you know, nine to five doing something. Now, the something can be a hobby or, or whatever, but you've got to be doing something through the week. What do you think that might be? If I could do anything during the week, nine to five, um, I have a passion to um, help children who maybe wouldn't have other opportunities. So I would want to be, I wouldn't want to be like a teacher, but I would want to be working in the classroom, maybe doing storytelling or craft time, something like that. So just really, um, you know, doing some things with, with children. Wait a minute. Aren't you a ballroom dancer? I have taken some ballroom dancing classes. Yes. Do you, do you still do that? I would love to have more time to do that. Yes. But you still do it when you can? You do it occasionally? I do. And my daughter as well. So that was kind of fun. But you'd, you'd like to be altruistic and read and things instead of doing your ballroom dancing? Well, I wonder if I could do both. You could do both. Maybe I could teach ballroom dancing to children. I mean, it's not like you're doing the Charleston. I mean, you <laughs> might get dizzy with your eye in the book at the same time, but it's not like you're bouncing up and down. Well, see, I could read books about ballroom dancing, and then I could, you know, we could have a little activity after. That would be a win-win. Yeah, that would sound uh, that would sound interesting. Well, Shauna, what a pleasure meeting you. Likewise. And thank you for uh, hanging out. This was fun. Yeah, no, and thank you for, like, dealing with my microphone issues. Sorry. <laughs> Don't tell the audience. I already told them what you did during your microphone breaks. Yes, that hitting that <laughs> flask, huh? No, I'm just kidding. Hitting the flask. No, thank you so much for having me on the show today. Really appreciate it. I've been listening to your podcast and you provide such valuable information for your audience just on many different levels. So thank you. It's an honor. And you have a podcast also. I actually have seen some of my guests on your show. And what is the name of your show? It's called Bases of Finance. We really wanted to have a show that isn't just about bookkeeping, but it's about other aspects of business that are important, like self-care. So Dr. Jessica Louie was a guest on the show. Yeah. Uh -huh, and she talks about burnout, which is really important. She didn't bring me up at all, did she? She did not. Okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back and ask no, her about you then. No, it's a good thing that she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Shauna. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.